Hey, welcome to New River Church's podcast. We're really glad you decided to join us today, and we hope that today's message encourages you and lifts you up. If you're looking for some more information about New River Church, just check us out at newriverchurch.org. And this morning, we're going to cover Ezra 5 and 6. So we have a lot of ground to cover, um, so we're going to dig right in, but Ezra chapter 5 and 6, and while you're looking that up, if you would please um, read the scripture verse with me that's on the screen behind me or on the screen on your TV there, 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 16 and 17, it says this, let's read it out loud, read it out loud from home, all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God would be thoroughly equipped for every good work. All Scripture is God-breathed. Let that sink in for a moment. All Scripture is God-breathed. Is that fact enough to motivate you to want to know it? Please let that question sit in your heart. All, all Scripture is God-breathed. It comes from the heart of God. It comes from the, the lips of God Almighty. Is that fact enough to motivate you to want to know it? And, and if all Scripture is God-breathed, well, then, of course, it's useful. It's useful for teaching, for rebuking. Sometimes we need to kick in the pants. For correcting, for training in righteousness. And, and if the person, if the man or woman of God is taught, trained, rebuked, corrected from the God-breathed Word of God, well, then, of course, that person would find themselves to be thoroughly equipped. You got all you need, man, to face the stuff that life throws at you. You're thoroughly equipped for every good work. So can I ask us, it's a tough question, but do we really believe that? I mean, I know that we want to believe it. I get that because we're church people. I get that we want to believe it. But take a look at the way that you live your life do you really believe it, that this is God-breathed and that this is all I need right here? This, is the, this right here is the only real resource that I need to be able to face life in the way that you practice, in the way that you live. I know it's a tough question, but imagine just for a second, imagine that this is the only resource you have. Okay, can you imagine a world where there is no Beth Moore study, where there is no Max Lucado inspirational calendar, where there is no Francis Chan, there is no Joel Osteen to uh, tell you how to have your best life now, and there is no Dave Ramsey to tell you how to manage your finances. Like, and I'm not putting any of those people down. Hear me. We're just kind of trying to make a point here. I want us to see the centrality, how central is God's word in my life, in our church's life? How central is it? So imagine like this is all you got. 
Imagine that you and your spouse, like you're having problems in your marriage, or maybe you're having some problems with your kids, or maybe you're having some problems with your marriage because you're having problems with your kids, like that happens too sometimes. And like the only thing you have to go by is this. And so you and your spouse have to dig into like God's word, and you're saying, okay, God, what is it that you have to say about this situation in our lives so that we can do it? Or like, let's say you're, you're dating, you're, you're trying to figure out what God wants you to do with your boyfriend, your girlfriend. You're like, okay, God, what do you have to say about my, about my dating, about my, about my sex life, or about my, you know, what do you, what do you have to say, God, about that here? Or, or God, there's all this stuff going on in current events like right now. It's just worlds. The world's on fire. It's, God, what are you trying to say about that? Like, do you have anything to say about that in here? See, does this inform the way that I see current events? See? And, and I'm not trying to be hard. I'm just trying to kind of help us to evaluate. That's all. These are just evaluation questions, I guess. Like, how central is this? To my life. Jesus, after all, said it in Matthew chapter 4. He said, Man does not live on bread alone, but on, finish the sentence, every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Jesus equated the word of God to my soul with bread to my belly. Is it any wonder then that so many of God's people are weak? and easily sucked away by the winds of culture if we've literally starved ourselves from the Word of God. It's no wonder. I would like to think that your strength and mine is directly related to this Word. How seriously do I take this? Is this the God-breathed Now, I ask all those questions to set up our study in Ezra, because we've been studying this little book, Ezra, because the people that were in this book were facing similar situation to what you and I are facing right now. They had the hard task of having to rebuild life, and they had been exiles. Theirs was probably a lot worse than ours. Not probably, was. A lot harder than ours. So they had, they had spent 70 years living in exile in Babylon, and then finally after 70 years of that, uh, the Babylonian Empire is overtaken by the Persian Empire, and Cyrus, the new Persian top dog, decides to let the Jews go home, and voila, just like that, overnight, now we're allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And Zerubbabel is the name of the guy who led the first band of brave men and women to make the long, arduous trip from Babylon all the way across the desert to Jerusalem and begin the task of trying to rebuild their beloved city. And we've noted that these guys, in their rebuilding, are kind of similar to us. We're in a period of rebuilding, and we're facing similar challenges. And, and what does church look like moving forward? We, it's... I wonder, I keep asking the Lord that question in my prayer time, what's it look like, God? I know that it doesn't look like it always looked like. 
I know that things have changed, but I can't quite put my finger on how they've changed. Is that you? Like, I, you just... And I can tell you this, I know, I'll say it, I believe with all my heart that the government did not close Sunday morning services. I believe God did that. You see, I believe in the sovereignty of God, that God's over all of his creation. He knows what he's doing. And, and I also believe that God loves the church of Jesus Christ more than anything else. And anything that God does in this world, he does for the sake of the church. I believe that God's doing something. Hey, listen, the government didn't take your rights away. They didn't take mine. I gave up my rights on the day I gave my heart to Jesus. And if we're not careful, we're going to miss what God's doing. And so we find ourselves right here. So we've been digging into Ezra, trying to figure out, okay, what did these guys do? Can we learn any lessons for our sake? And one of the first things that we noted that when Zerubbabel and the people got back to Jerusalem, the first thing they did was they built an altar for prayer and worship. Step one, they, they reestablished prayer life. Why? Prayer is primary. Prayer is the way that we connect with the heart of God. It literally is. So no wonder there's so much pressure. No wonder there's so much opposition to it in our lives. Why do you think you find it so hard to pray? Well, the devil doesn't want you to pray. Why doesn't he want you to pray? Because he knows it's how you connect with the heart of God. And so, of course, there's opposition to that. And so we said, you know what? Prayer is primary. First thing, we're going to get on our knees. We've got to do that. You know, I just read this this week, and it just really blew me away. You know, um, Jesus is talking to his best, one of his best buddies, Peter, and he says, Hey, Peter, um, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but uh, don't worry, I prayed for you. And what really hit me was, this is Jesus, almighty God. He had the power to do anything for Peter, and he chose to pray. I think maybe I've underestimated the power of prayer. That's something. And I say, Lord, forgive me. I'm repenting from ever saying the words, just pray. You know how we say that? And now, at church today, did you have a good sermon or a good worship, or did we just pray? No, Lord, forgive us for ever saying, just pray. Prayer is the most powerful thing that you or I could do because it connects us to the heart of Almighty God and it moves the heart of Almighty God to bring action to bear on planet Earth. So prayer is primary. Second thing that Zerubbabel did was, I, I, I already preached that one four weeks ago. So second one that Zerubbabel did was they, they began to build the temple. We noted that. And we noted that they only got as far as the foundation before they ran into trouble, but they were going to build the temple. That's where they were heading. And the reason why they wanted to build the temple was because the, de the temple represented the system by which people grew in their relationship with God. For the Jews, the temple was where it all happened. Like that was the center of activity. It was the festivals, the sacrifices. They all happened right there. Now for you and me, the physical temple, not as important for our 
personal faith. It really isn't. But we still need to understand that we need a plan. If I'm going to grow in my relationship with Jesus, that's going to take work. I got to have, that doesn't just happen by accident. It takes discipline. It takes some choices that I have to make. I have to make prayer primary in my life. Do I not? If it's going to happen, I have to make the study of God's word key in my life if it's going to happen. So I have to have a system, right? And we talked about that. And we said that, that, that for them, the foundation was just a slab of rock. For you and me, our foundation is Jesus Christ. And so we've got to have a firm, solid understanding of Jesus, who he is. We've got to have a firm, solid connection, experience, and encounter with the person of Jesus Christ. This is critical in our walk with him. Prayer is primary. The second one, Jesus, is everything. And then we noted last week that they ran into trouble. We discovered that. Kind of the uh, uncomfortable news was, guess what? Not everybody likes you. And not everybody's a fan of your pursuit of Jesus. Did you find, have you found that out yet? Have you, have you discovered not everybody is supporting you and your desire to follow God and obey him? You know that? And so Zerubbabel, the same thing. They were trying to pursue God. They ran into trouble. And we noted that Zerubbabel had to identify the difference between his enemies and his friends. And we said, we've got to do the same thing. We, we've got to like, let go of this uh, fairy tale notion that everybody likes us. And we have to understand, I have enemies. I have friends. And I have to know the difference because that informs how I relate to them. The Bible commands me that I'm supposed to love my enemies, and I'm supposed to pray for my enemies, and I'm supposed to serve my enemies, but I don't trust them. And I do what Zerubbabel did. Zerubbabel did not allow them access. He, he treated his enemies with respect and with kindness, certainly, but he did not give them access into the inner circle. And you and I need to do the same thing. We've got to be wise about this. Now, last Sunday, we noted at the end of Ezra, chapter 4, verse 24, that while Zerubbabel identified his enemies and properly dealt with them, the enemies still had a profound effect, and they stopped the rebuilding of the temple. Ezra, chapter 4, verse 24, reads this sad ending. It says, so the work on the house of God came to a stand still. Hmm. So even identifying our enemies doesn't necessarily protect us, does it, from their effect in our life. Boy, there's a sober point. We've got to really pay attention, don't we? And for the next 20 years, about 16 to 20 or so years, this is where it stayed. Zerubbabel and the people stopped rebuilding the temple, slab of rock as a foundation, and that was all the farther it went for 20 years. Put that in perspective, think about all that's happened in our lives in the last 20 years since the year 2000. Remember Y2K? You were storing up water in your basement, beans. Remember that? And since that time, think about all the stuff that's happened since then, okay? 20 years. So 20 years, they've not done anything. 
And then suddenly, as though somebody switches a flip or flips a switch, <laughs> wow, <how's> that <laughs> flips a switch, somebody flips the switch, they start rebuilding the temple again. What was it? What was it that made the difference? What was it that lit the fire in their pants to get them to rebuild again? You know what it was? Just guess the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, remember the introduction? You've already forgotten? The word of God! It was the, was the very thing that motivated them. That brings us to Ezra, chapter 5, verse 1. Just look at this for a second. Now Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the prophet. Hey, do you remember those two guys? We've been talking about them every week. Remember? Haggai and Zechariah, they were, contempor- they, they were preaching during this time. So Haggai, Zechariah, a descendant of Ido, prophesied to the Jews in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who is over them. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, son of Josedek, set to work to rebuild the house of God in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. So after 20 years of nothing... Haggai and Zechariah, they're preaching, and at some point, the Word of God lit a fire in their heart, and these people began to rebuild the temple again. Amazing. What was it? How can it be that after 20 years, all it took was a couple of really good sermons, and these people got going again? The Word of God did that in their lives? And the answer, my friend, is, yeah. Yeah. How much, how much of what you do is informed by what God's Word says to do? God's Word is that powerful. It's powerful enough to take a people who were dormant for 20 years and get them moving again. It's powerful enough to inform your life, your finances, your marriage, your home, your work, every aspect of your life. It's powerful enough to do that. It's that powerful. How powerful is the God-breathed Word of God? Let me just, I can just illustrate it this way and hope this, so, so God's, God's Word is just powerful whether it comes out of His mouth directly or out of someone else's mouth. For example, we see it right now happening in current events. Both the Black Lives Matter movement and the proponents of mask wearing are using the same statement to propel their agendas in part. And you know what the statement is? Love thy neighbor. Now, I'm not making any statement about either one of those two. Please don't, please hear me. I'm just trying to highlight the power of the word of God. Do you notice that when you hear that statement, it motivates? There's something that stirs. What is it about that? You know what it is? It's God-breathed. God said it. It's God-breathed. It's amazing. And and so this even kind of comes with a, a little bit of a warning for us to recognize that the the power, just the raw power of God's word. You know what I mean? Like, you take, you take gasoline, it doesn't matter who lights the match, you're going to start a fire with it. 
I don't have to know anything about the fire. I, I don't have to know anything about gasoline to start a fire with gasoline. All I need is a match. And, and it doesn't matter if you know God or you don't know God, if you're honoring God or you're not honoring God. The Word of God is powerful. It's motivating. And so for us, there's a really important warning in that. And that's this. Hear this. When the Word of God is connected to the love of God, and it's at work in the heart of an actual child of God, oh, that produces profound effects. A person's life is forever changed when that happens. But if you take the Word of God and you disconnect it from the heart of God and you disconnect it from an intimate relationship with God, then it becomes hellish. It becomes coercive, manipulative. It's religion. Religion separates the Word of God from the actual heart and love and intimate relationship with God. But the point here is simply the Word of God is powerful because it's God-breathed. Again, can I ask, is that enough motivation to make us want to know it? It came from the mouth of God. And so here these people are rebuilding the temple because the Word of God came to them. What was the Word? Maybe you're asking that. Hey, wait, whoa, that must have been some sermon. What was it that got these people moving after 20 years? I'm glad you're asking that question. Go to Haggai. Keep your finger in Ezra, but please go to Haggai chapter 1. So Ezra told us Haggai and Zechariah were the guys preaching it, and we actually have two books of our Bible named after Haggai and Zechariah. Both their sermons are recorded for us right here at the end of the Old Testament. So what's Haggai's sermon? What was it that got him going again? Here it is, Haggai chapter 1. I want to read the whole chapter because it's so good. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the Lord's house. Do you see how they had become complacent? You know, it's just not time yet. I, I'm just not feeling it. I don't feel like the Lord is telling us to do it. It's not the right time. Here's what God's response to that is. Then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses? Apparently paneling was a thing back then. Panel, they were stuck in the 70s 2,500 years ago. It's kind of funny. <laughs> Living in your paneled houses while this house remains a ruin. Now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but harvested little. You eat but never have enough. You drink but never have your fill. You put on clothes but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. See, that's the big deal. They were not honoring God. You see that? So that I might be honored, says the Lord. 
You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields. See, who did it? God did it. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, on the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else the ground produces, on people and on livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Huh. So God's actually working against their labor. They're working and working and working and not going anywhere. And God was resisting them. Why? Because they were not honoring the Lord. Verse 12, then Zerubbabel son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Look at that. And the message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. Look at that. The people feared the Lord. So when the fear of the Lord, when their fear, how about this? So the word of the Lord produced the fear of the Lord. And when the fear of the Lord was stronger than their fear of man, they decided it was time to start rebuilding the temple. We've, we've, been, we've been caving in long enough, compromising long enough. It's time to get going. But it was the fear of the Lord. The word of the Lord brought the fear of the Lord. And then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. He said, I'm with you, declares the Lord. Do you hear the heart of God? I love that song we sang, the heart of God. You hear the heart? So God, God's given them this really tough, I mean, he is kicking them in the pants. But yet you hear the heart of the Father, I'm with you. I'm, I'm with you. Okay, Dad, I trust you. Even when God's disciplining us, he loves us, isn't he? And so the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God, on the 24th day of the sixth month. So do you see what these guys, you see what happened? After 20 years, so let's just replay it quick. So they start to rebuild the temple, opposition. They decide it's easier, let's just not rebuild the temple. But how about that? And so we pull back, and we start to rebuild our own houses, and we're making them nice and paneled and everything, and that's really cool, apparently. And, and meanwhile, God's house is a wreck, but their houses are nice, real nice. And, and God says, enough. You're not honoring me. And you notice that, that meanwhile, like life for them is good. They're not being opposed by, by their enemies anymore. But you notice that it's not quite good enough. Like their, their wallets have holes in it. And they have clothes, but they're not really warm. And they eat, but they're not really getting well fed. And you notice how they're just not. Have you ever experienced that in your life? Like it's just not. Like it's. It's not bad, but it's not great, and it's not, I mean, I'm working, but I don't feel like I'm getting ahead. Like, I feel like about the time I save 20, I have to spend 30, and it's just, uh, you know that feeling? 
God says, hey, you're not honoring me. You put me first. Obey me. And these people, they get motivated. They start rebuilding. The fear of the Lord overcame their fear of man. And they said, okay, we've got to start building again. And that's what they do. They start building. But you notice something? Here's what, here's what happens. If you go back over to Ezra, chapter 5, verse 3, this guy named Tatani shows up. These guys just start rebuilding. This guy Tatani shows up. At that time, Tatani, governor of Trans-Euphrates, and Shethar Bozani and their associates went to them and asked, Hey, who authorized you to rebuild this temple and to finish it? They also asked, What are the names of those who are constructing this building? I want your names because I want to narc on you. But the eye of their God was watching over the elders of the Jews, and they were not stopped until a report could go to Darius and his written reply be received. So, do you see that? 20 years, they're living comfortably, no problem. The moment they start to try to get busy again for God, opposition. And this guy, Tat and I, is a governor of Trans-Euphrates. Now, you, gotta, you, realize, you know how that would work? You have the Persian Empire, and then the empire is divided up into provinces, and each province is led by a governor, and Tatani is the governor of Trans-Euphrates, and the city of Jerusalem would have been in that province of Trans-Euphrates. And so Tatani shows up while the Jews are building their temple, and is like, hey, um, you guys didn't ask me for permission to do this. And what are you doing? Why are you building the temple? And the Jews basically, in a sense, were, well, we didn't think we needed to ask your permission because God told us to do it. And so Tat and I says, well, I'm going to write a letter. We're going to have to get to the bottom of this one. And he goes back to Darius, and he basically narks on the people of God and goes to Darius and tries to see what's going on. But here's what's interesting. During this entire time, during this entire time, they kept building anyway. And you read the rest of Ezra chapter 5, the rest of Ezra chapter 6, and you see the correspondence between Tat and I and Darius, and Darius has to search out the archives, and he's got to figure out all this stuff. You know, the government has to have its, those wheels grind kind of slowly, trying to figure things out. They've got to have a committee research it, or whatever it was they did. And meanwhile, during that whole entire time, the people of God rebuilding the temple, faithfully rebuilding the temple. But what's fascinating is, as long as they were living in their own houses and backing off the mission, no opposition. The moment they started rebuilding, opposition. Here's an important lesson for you and me. Friends, the devil doesn't care if you call yourself a Christian. He only cares if you take it seriously. If you're determined to just simply live a nice Christian life and, you know, have the benefits of following Christ, like, like a nice Christian family and nice Christian job and nice Christian life, if that's what you're intending to do, don't worry. No problem. Nobody's going to oppose that whatsoever. But the very moment that you actually have the audacity to say, this is the word of God and I'm following it, 
And Jesus Christ is the only hope for mankind, and I am his and he is mine. The moment that you have the audacity to make that claim and actually begin to take it seriously, expect opposition. It's coming. And when you're opposed, you have two choices. You can either, you can either push forward. You can do what the people of God did here in chapter 5. They pushed forward and despite the opposition, move forward, obey God anyway. And yes, what will happen? You'll grow as a result. Or, or, or you can take the second option, which is pull back, try to fit in, water it down, compromise. You won't get beat up, but you won't grow either. See, the really awkward truth is this. Opposition is necessary for growth. Like the, like the only difference, you know the big difference between a guy like me at the gym and a guy like Dwayne Johnson, the rock at the gym. You know the big difference? A lot of hard work. Like Dwayne Johnson goes to the gym and despite the opposition, he pushes his body to the limit and he's the rock. I buffet my body to the limit, and <laughs> see, the difference between me and a guy with a PhD, about eight years of really hard work that I'm not willing to do. Opposition actually is necessary for growth, and so if I choose comfort, I'm choosing mediocrity. If I choose safety, I'm choosing mediocrity. If I choose security, I'm choosing mediocrity. Literally, I'm stunting my own growth. But if I say, God, I'm willing, I'm willing to pursue you with everything I've got, even if I get opposed, it's going to be hard. I'm going to get my rear end kicked, but I'm going to do it anyway. We're going to go forward. That's when you begin to grow and thrive. I mean, Jesus said it. Hey, if they hated me, they're going to hate you too. I mean, we might as well just deal with that. I might as well just wake up to the reality. If they hated Jesus, I mean, come on, he was perfect. They're going to hate you and me too. So, my choice, my choice, obey God or fit in. These are the options I've got. Thankfully, the people of God chose to continue to obey God regardless of the opposition. They kept on rebuilding during this whole entire time, even though Tat and I is ratting them out. They kept on going, kept on going. And there's a cool, ironic twist at the end of the story. You go to Ezra chapter 6, verse 8, and the cool thing is, look at who had to end up paying for the temple rebuilding. Tat and I. Isn't that great? So Tatani tries to rat him out to Darius, and Darius ends up doing all of his thing, and he comes back and he says, Tatani, I got a great idea. Let's, re let's let the Jews rebuild their temple, and uh, let's pay for it out of your budget. <laughs> That's fantastic. Isn't that something? 
And then what's even better is, look at this, verse 14, Ezra chapter 6, verse 14. It says, so the elders of the Jews continued to build and prosper under the preaching of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah son of Iddo. They finished building the temple according to the command of the God of Israel and the decrees of Cyrus, Darius, and Artaxerxes, kings of Persia. They finished building the temple according to whose command? God's command. And... Oh, and by the way, the decrees of. But the important thing to recognize is they were going to rebuild the temple anyway, with or without the support of the Persian government. They were going to rebuild the temple anyway. Why? Because the word, told, the word of God told them to. They obeyed God's word. Do you see that? Does this make sense? They were going to rebuild anyway. And this is the kind of people who are unstoppable. I mean, what are you going to do against this kind of people? They're marching to a different drumbeat. They're marching to the drumbeat of heaven. And, and though the world is working really hard to throw them off rhythm, the, all we hear is the drumbeat of heaven. I'm just, I'm just nose to the grindstone moving forward to obey the word of the Lord in my life. Regardless, but this unstoppable people is also super attractive. One last little point. Verse 21. See what happened in Ezra 6, 21? So they finished building the temple. And with the, you know, they ended up getting, Tat and I had to pay for it, which is kind of a funny, ironic twist. Cool. But they were going to rebuild it anyway. And they finished rebuilding the temple, ribbon-cutting ceremony. One of the very first celebrations they have in the temple is the Passover. Now, the Passover was probably their most special holiday in the Jewish calendar. Like, to them, it's like Christmas is to you and me. We love Christmas. Can't imagine a year without it. Same thing for them with Passover. And so they celebrate. That's the first thing they do in their brand new temple. Everything all shiny and new. It's got that new temple smell to it. You know, it's just great. And they're celebrating the Passover in it. But you see in verse 21 who joined them? Gentiles. They're Gentile neighbors. Some of their Gentile neighbors, non-Jews, actually purified themselves, began to follow God and say, you know, I want to be a part of whatever it is you guys are doing because, man, something is going on with you people. They were attracted to the God of the Jews because the Jews were willing to obey the voice of the Lord despite the opposition that they were facing. That's attractive. That's unstoppable, and it's attractive. Oh, have you noticed, have you noticed, friends, that our world doesn't know which end is up? Have you, have you, do you see that? Do you see how confused our culture is? Do you see how, I mean, they are so bass at, I mean, that's, oh, I said that wrong. They, I mean, it's just, they're completely upended. Do you understand? Do you understand that what they need is an anchor? And you are that anchor. You, with the timeless word of God, is the anchor to our culture. But have you ever seen an anchor? They don't, they got a hard job. The boat is constantly pulling against the anchor. Have you, have you ever thought about what it's like to be the anchor? It's not a fun job. It's not glamorous. You're stuck down there in the mud and the rock, but you're the thing holding it together. And God has called his people to be the anchor. His people. 
with his timeless, powerful word who say, no, this is truth. Let me, let me show you the truth. Here, I, I show it to you in the way that I live my life. You'll see it. You'll see it in the way my wife and I love each other and the way we manage our home. You'll see it in the way that I work. You see how hard I work? I don't complain. I don't gripe. You see, all that? You see how hard I work? You see that? You see Jesus in my work? You, you see him in my life? See, I'm, I'm living the truths of this, of this God-breathed word in my life. People go, oh, I want that. I'd like to be a part of that. And that's what happened in Ezra chapter 6. Let me just end with a qualifier and worship team, you guys here, you're terrific. Let me just end with a qualifier, okay? Because I felt like there's a warning here. Um, this message does not give you permission to be a jerk in the name of Jesus. Like, one of the, one of the concerns I have with this message is that we would hear this and the rebel in us might get stirred up. You know, the rebel that says, ah, oh, I'm just going to kick the world in the teeth and I'm just going to obey God and to hell with everybody else. And yeah, they're not going to like it and that's okay. If you've heard that, then you've missed this message. That is not what I'm saying. In fact, let me, let me let you know, rebel, my rebellious friend. The closer you walk with Jesus, one of the hallmarks of your walk with Jesus is humility. You're less of a jerk, not more of a jerk, when you seek to obey God and His Word. And yeah, people oppose it, absolutely. But you know what your response is? Your response is to love them, and, and you just continue on with how God's leading you to do. And you're not making any argument. You're not like, you're just doing the thing that God's calling you to do, faithfully, humbly, submitted. And, and, the, and the, Lord, the Lord just is all over that, friends. I mean, you're going to get opposed in that. You don't have to be abrasive, you know, you don't have to be looking for a fight to have to fight. Maybe I'm saying, maybe that's the way to say it. You don't have to look for a fight to have to fight. <laughs> you know, it's just, it's going to happen, but you just humbly, you know, submit it. I'm just, I'm just a guy who has uh, decided that, that uh, living for Jesus that's the best thing I could do with my life. And, um, and that's it. And that's what this is calling us to. And so, we, so may we be that kind of unstoppable kind of people and super attractive people. And we summarize it. We say prayer is primary. Jesus Christ is everything. And the word of God is obeyed. May those three statements really shape and form who we are. Prayer is primary. Jesus is everything. The word of God obeyed. Let's bow our heads in prayer, okay?
Thanks for listening today. If you'd like more encouragement or information about New River Church, check us out at newriverchurch.org.